can't get enough tabletop role-playing game zines? Subscribe to Broke Games Patreon to get a new print or digital role-playing game zine every month. Our zines are filled with modular dungeons, wild magic items, unique procedures, and inspiring spark tables. This month's zine takes place in a floating goblin fortress torn by competing factions. Will you support the Goblin King, join the Resistance, or restore the tunnels to their creator, the Grub Mother? Play Gabico, the Floating Goblin Fortress, to find out. Subscribe at patreon.com slash games or buy direct at brokehoodgames.com. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Loga the Barbarian. And I'm joined today by my guest, Derek, the Geek Preacher. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Logar. It's good to have you. And 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 I've asked the preacher on to talk about satanic panic. <laughs> yeah, well, what better uh, thing to talk about uh, right now to have a real-life cleric with a barbarian, <laughs> you know, talking about uh, Satan and the evils of Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I I think right now it's been a hot topic on the internet because of the Stranger Things and they got the cool D and D scene at the new season. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, yeah. I I have not been able to binge watch it like I wanted to because my wife loves watching it with me and she's not a binge watcher. So we uh, I have been enjoying it, seeing all the uh, satanic panic that they're throwing in. And it's bringing back some memories of the 1980s. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Definitely. Uh, that show in general kind of tends to do that. It, every time I watch it, it's got, oh, it, it, it definitely is aimed to that nostalgia type thing. A lot of us grew up with that and it's hitting on that satanic panic. I grew up, my daddy was a Baptist preacher. And oh, man. It was the 80s, you know, and there was definitely satanic panic going on around me that I was raised in. I was, I remember when He-Man, the first episode of He-Man came out, I remember seeing the ads and sat down to watch it. And I remember being, I was kind of afraid of it. It kind of, it kind of intimidated me because of the devil and evil and stuff like that. And what things I had heard around the church. It, and I wasn't the only person going through this stuff, hearing this stuff about the games we were getting into and music and stuff. So I'm curious, you have a documentary about Satanic Panic? Yes, uh, over the last uh, few years, I, I've done a number of documentaries. Mainly, they've focused on faith and imagination. I, I did the first documentary I was involved in was called The Fantasy Makers, and it was on the lives of J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and George MacDonald, basically trying to show that faith and imagination go together rather than what we've seen a lot. And what I saw growing up is that imagination was, I'm trying to think of a nice word other than uh, a curse word, but imagination seemed <laughs> to be pooped upon, if you will. Let me poop upon your imagination if you're a person of faith. And so we did one on, on uh, the fantasy makers that uh, most gamers are familiar with. And we did another one called the science fiction makers which focused on C.S. Lewis and Madeleine Engle, you know, uh, to show that faith and imagination are not contradictory. But as a longtime D&D &D player and as someone who grew up in the 1980s, 
I've been talking with the director and the producer about those first two documentaries about doing one on the satanic panic. So our documentary is titled The Satanic Panic and the Religious Battle for the Imagination. And one of the driving forces behind me wanting to do this is I've had the honor and the pleasure over the years of meeting a number of the people who worked for TSR back in the 70s and 80s, the company that made Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And so, and they have become friends of mine, uh, very close personal friends. And I found out that many of them are people of faith. So when the satanic panic came out, I realized later in life, I realized that the satanic panic was an attack, not just on kids, but it was an attack on the people of faith that worked for TSR. People like Gary Gygax, who self-identified as a Christian, Dave Arneson, self-identified as a Christian, Tim Cask, the creator of Dragon Magazine, has pretty much been a lifelong Episcopalian. Steve Sullivan, who uh, it did a lot of the maps for uh, TSR, was a cartographer, is, uh, is very active in his church, even does horror movie nights for his church. I, I'm curious. What are the uh, like when I was in when I was in church, they used to show what was that show, that movie? Um, had that song, I wish we'd all been ready. What was that? Oh movie? my god, a thief uh, in the night. I, was it yes, thief in the a night? thief in the night? Oh, yeah, and, and and that's what I think of when I think of a horror movie at church. <laughs> yeah, no, Steve would show probably something, uh, you know, he would do the old 50s and 60s horror movies oh, that, that you would have seen in the regular theaters. <laughs> you know, he's a big fan of Ray Harryhausen, too. Like, oh, you yeah. remember the stop motion Sinbad movies? Oh, so yeah, Steve would show things like that, and, and so you know, they. These were the people intimately involved in the creation of Dungeons and Dragons, yet we didn't hear about that during the rise of the satanic panic in the 80s. So that was the driving force behind wanting to do this. So we've interviewed a lot of the people who worked for TSR during that time uh, to get their views of what that period was like. We interviewed Luke Gygax, the son of Gary Gygax and talk to them about that. We interviewed gamers, uh, just regular gamers. We interviewed clergy people who were playing D&D &D and other role-playing games and what their experiences were like, people who still play D&D. &D. And so that, that was kind of the driving force behind this documentary. I'm curious now. Now, did you touch on Patricia pulling or anything like that? And I'm, yes. I'm curious if any of our. I, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners may be familiar with Patricia pulling, and maybe familiar with what was it? Mothers against uh, Dungeons Bad. and Dragons. Bother, bothered, bothered about <laughs> bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, we talk about Pat pulling. We talk about James Dallas Egbert. Uh, we talk about Pat Robertson and his attacks on Dungeons and Dragons. We talk about the Jack Chick tracks. We we cover oh, I had the whole <laughs> gamut of it. We had plenty of those Jack Chick tracks when I was growing up. Just, I remember those as well. <laughs> Even in the 90s, when I, I first became active in the church in the 90s, Chick tracks were still a big thing. Now uh, and, and they're funny. 
Yeah, they're 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 fascinating. Uh, I see them, I snag them. I'm like, oh, I'm taking this home. <laughs> now I'm curious about some of that history there. Um, like you made the documentary. I'm aware of Patricia Polling. From what I understand, her her son committed suicide. Is that correct? Yes, he did. He did. Her son did commit suicide, and it was very tragic. And uh, she wanted to blame Dungeons and Dragons. But when you investigate it, and we go into this a lot of detail in the documentary, but when you investigate it, number one, she had no idea that her son was playing D&D. And, and as I looked into the case of her, her son, one of the things that really popped out to me is that there was no real evidence that he was playing Dungeons and Dragons to a great amount. You know, it, it really comes out that she's looking for, like many parents do in the case of the tragic loss of their child, she's looking for reason and she can't fathom, uh, especially in the 1980s, that it could have just been mental illness. Uh, just mental illness that so many people in our culture deal with. And mental illness is still stigmatized in our culture each and every day. But it, it's a better world that it, I'm not saying it's a perfect world now, but it's a better world in 2022 than it was in the 1980s where mental illness was concerned. I mean, I've dealt with depression and anxiety. I was dealing with it as a young boy in the 80s. And no one knew how to handle that. It wasn't until I was an adult in my 20s and 30s that I understood that there was medication that was needed. So I think that is part of the stigma that was going on is the mental health issues that people weren't willing to acknowledge that children were struggling with that we're more willing to acknowledge today. Yeah, and, and what she, she, her response to this was she formed an organization called Mad About Dungeons and Dragons. She kind of went on a tour. I think, she, did she go on to Pat Robinson's show? Was that, was that what was that? I, I think show? she was on the 700, 700 Club. 700 Club. I keep on wanting to say yeah. 2020, but that's not 2020. Yeah, I, she, she did that. She turned it into a career. And it, that is one of the things we talk about is how she turned it into a career. And she made herself an expert uh, on this. One of the things that one of the uh, experts we interview in the documentary, uh, his name is Dr. Joseph Laycock. He wrote a, a book called Dangerous Games about Dungeons and Dragons and the era of the satanic panic. He's a sociologist of religion and he calls people like Pat Pulling a moral entrepreneur. A moral entrepreneur are people uh, they can just be regular folks who uh, are out there. They could be pastors. They could be police officers. But these are people who make a career out of speaking on moral issues. And she turned it into a real career uh, where she was going to police stations and, and going to police seminars and speaking to police officers, handing out pamphlets to tell them what to look for and the signs of what satanic activity would be and what it would look like. And during that era, she became her own self-proclaimed expert without any credentials on the topic. And 
it, it just became a cycle where, uh, oh, we've got this expert, look at what they've written. And then she would use that one speaking engagement to prove her own expertise. It, it's crazy when you look at it. So I'm curious to know if, how much like of that stuff she was saying and the, what the claims, like how much you know of the stuff she was saying, what kind of claims yeah. she was making. I, I'd be like, I'm interested in hearing some of that. Like, what was this woman telling people? It, the biggest thing, uh, you, and there is a article that was put out by Michael Stackpole. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Stackpole, but Michael has written a lot of stuff for tabletop role-playing games. And uh, he wrote, he was uh, put under contract by TSR to kind of be their Dungeons and Dragons apologist. And he put out what is called the pulling report. Uh, he, he says this, this is absolutely hilarious. He said, Patricia Pulling's book is a monument to illogical thinking and innuendo. <laughs> right from the start, Pat Pulling shows the reader the sort of logical deductive ability that helped convince the state of Virginia to license her as a private investigator. Pulling says, I asked a store clerk where I could find a game master to teach her D&D. And, show, and she showed me a bulletin board filled with personal ads posted by people who wanted to act as dungeon masters and others who wanted to join gaming groups. It all sounded pretty complicated to me. And as an adult, I had better sense than to call up someone I didn't know and ask him to get together with me to play a game I didn't know anything about. Instead, I went to a local college and hung around until I spotted some young men carrying Dungeons and Dragons books under their arms. I mean, the lack of logic, you know, not wanting to call a stranger to teach you how to play a game. That's like saying, oh, you know what? I'm not going to call a stranger to teach me how to play golf or to play tennis. You know, this is the same middle class type person who would have hired an unknown tennis instructor, but she won't call up someone to uh, talk about that. But uh, many of the things she was doing was she was making claims that Dungeons and Dragons was causing people to commit suicide, that uh, they were engaging in satanic ritual abuse. And she was just making all of these unfounded claims with little to no evidence. That's the biggest thing that she did. Now, I remember those bulletin boards like I, I got I got into games. I was I was interested in playing lots of different role playing games. And I definitely remember boards like that where people would put their little Xerox paper with a little phone number. You just pull the tab yeah. and call it. And I got into a few games that way back in the day. It was some, it was some cool games I got to play that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing that pulling was doing is uh, she uh, was saying there were organized satanic networks around the country. And uh, which is a part of what is she's tapping into the zeitgeist of the culture of the 1980s, because the satanic panic uh, was going hand in hand with what uh, was called satanic ritual abuse claims. Uh, I don't know if you remember these, but they were talking about how daycares had people working at them that were satanically abusing and molesting children. And those were those all turned out to be hoaxes, but uh, pulling was reinforcing the narrative that there was a network of people doing this all around the country. 
and it was feeding into uh, a larger satanic scare that was influencing our culture at the time. But there was one voice I remember very specifically from back in the day that I got, I heard most of the satanic panic from. And, uh, and I actually, when I was younger, I read his books. <laughs> I was growing up in the church. It was Bob Larson. You remember Bob Larson? You talk about him? Yes, we talk about Bob Larson in <laughs> Bob there. Bob Larson's a fascinating uh, figure to me. I, I'd love to hear, like, as he was, we used to listen to Bob Larson religiously, literally. <laughs> um, and a lot of stuff that I got into as a kid, like games and music, he exposed me to. <laughs> yeah, that that is the funny part. And we delve into that in the documentary about how this satanic panic hype really got kids who would not normally check out the game to say, oh, this is something our parents said no to, so let's check it out. Our parents don't like it, so we're going to see what's going on. That, that was one of the things that we noticed was the level of hype that they were bringing out, which increased the sales of Dungeons & Dragons. It, it caused the sales to go up. And John Peterson, author of Plague at the World, and he's written a lot of books on, on the evolution of role-playing games, he talks about how TSR sales began to shoot up during that time. It, it's crazy. My fiance had never heard of uh, Bob Larson or any of that because she didn't grow up in that en environment. And uh, recently, in the last couple of years, she found one of his books and she uh, she bought it and read it just out of fascination. Um, but I grew up like they were given to me to read. I was not I was not, uh, you know, I, I grew up in that world. I read them. And there were some really outrageous claims that Larson had made on his show and in those books. I, and I only, I, I, I mean, I can think of some really crazy ones off the top of my head that would be very graphic and bizarre. The things he said was happening. Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we, if we talk about this in the documentary as well. Uh, Bob Larson took his daughters to Russia. The Teenage Exorcists? Yes, did this whole <laughs> series of the Teenage Exorcists with his daughters yeah, I, and I, their friend. I was yeah. fascinated by that when that was going, when that happened. I was like, I've got to see this. Um, and mostly because, and largely because I remembered him. Bob Larson had a radio program, I believe it was. Yeah. And he wrote a lot of books and he went around doing a lot of speaking. And I think when Satanic Panic dried up, he started... He, he had his teenage daughters become exorcists and went around touring with them as exorcists, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I actually, uh, back in my more fundamentalist days, called into his radio show back in the 90s and talked with him uh, at one time. It, it, he is, he's a character. That's yeah, sure. he, I'm, I'm fascinated by him. He's about on the lines with Jack Chick, to be honest, uh, in a lot of his stuff. Jack Chick, if you're not familiar with Jack Chick, there's little things called Chick Tracks. Google them, look them up. They had one that was specifically anti-Dungeons and Dragons. I think your face melts off towards the end if you play D&D. &D. <laughs> uh, no, it causes you to commit suicide. It really does. Doesn't and we, we talk about that track, The Dark Dungeons. We, we, we talk about the movie. Uh, we touch on the movie that uh, was done based on the chick track called Dark Dungeons. Uh, this group of people 
actually got Jack Chick to license Dark Dungeons to them. And uh, his only requirement was that they stay true to the tract, to that little gospel tract. And while they would not say this, it's actually a parody and a satire of it all. And it is absolutely hilarious. That movie aired at Gen Con uh, <laughs> to um, but much positive fare. People I know uh, that work for Zombie Orpheus Entertainment uh, were involved with that film. Uh, it The film was not done by Zombie Orpheus, uh, who are known for doing the gamers uh, films. They, they did not do that film. But people who were connected to Zombie Orpheus were connected to the Dark Dungeons movie as well. So uh, uh, Chick, I don't even think, realized that it was really a parody of what he was doing. And, and it's a great movie. You can find it online. And now the story I heard was that the feller who, who produced the movie won like $1,000 in the lottery and said he wanted to do something with that money and he used his money to purchase the rights from Chick and then ran a Kickstarter for the movie. Is, is that, do you know, is that, you know, that, that, I, don't really, like, I, I don't know about that part. I don't know I, about that part. I, I do know they somewhere. put out a, a, a game, a, a game supplement with the movie because I did back it. I, I, yeah, I backed it. Of course I did, man. Come on. It's it's hilarious. I picked up a little zine Kickstarter a, a year, a couple of years ago where they put out a little role-playing game in in, in, uh, in in Jack Chick format. It was like Dark Demons, Dark Dungeons, and Dark Yeah, Dungeons. I remember when that came out. I remember when that came out. Yeah. Those are neat. Those were neat. I, I, I use things like that in my Call of Cthulhu games when I run them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, when, when I was... When I was getting into games as a kid in the 80s, I, I at first I stayed away from fantasy games because that seemed to be the big focus where the evil was always in fantasy, like 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 more what you think of fantasy, like D&D fantasy, but like sci-fi games and superhero games were A-OK. So I really started off there. My first game was Doctor Who, Fossa role-playing game. <laughs> nice, nice. Because uh, I was a big Doctor Who nerd. So I was into those games, but at that time when I was getting into it, I was given by my grandmother a box set of Dragon Raid. Do you remember Dragon Raid? Yes, yes, I do. I yes. still got one of the dice left in my dice pack. And Dragon Raid was like the Christian alternative to role playing. Only like the rule was like, you couldn't run it as a DM yourself. Your youth pastor had to run it or something along those lines. This this is my geek cred right here. Oh, uh, you got it. <laughs> I had that. It, it, the in the shrink wrap. <laughs> Oh, it's in shrink wrap. Mine was not in shrink wrap. And Definitely. The they got they're actually re-releasing this. Someone bought the rights and they're redoing it. Now, what is really cool about this is I have to admit, all right, we're, we're going to take a, a brief detour into Christian games. <laughs> all right. The quality, quality of Christian games, honestly. And I'm a Christian, I'm a minister, and I say this with all love and respect. But the quality of many Christian games just sucks. <laughs> it really does. Their production qualities. But when you think about what they did with this in the 80s, these people did some work. I think it was, yeah, 1984. They didn't call it a role-playing game. They called it an adventure learning system. But they, they put some huge work into it. It comes with a battle grid. It comes with light raider figures, dark preacher counters. Those. Comes with a cassette tape. 
Yeah. So yeah. for the 1980s, <laughs> this was a multimedia experience. And they, uh, uh, while I have never played this, I think they did a really good job on it. And the quality of the materials was just phenomenal for that period in history. So if any Christians do listen to this, if you want to put out something, make sure it's quality product because it, it is just amazing. I actually picked this up at Gen Con last year. Oh, wow. I'd never been able to find one. And uh, I got this at Gen Con, original, still in the shrink wrap. Amazing is what it is. Yeah, I, I grew up in a very... Uh very fundamentalist legalistic christian household and most of my right. family were and and there was uh I, i'm thankful my parents sometime in the early 90s moved away from that church and where we were growing up and and kind of moved away from some of the things that i think were very problematic i think most people even if they're into religion would agree that those things that they were into sometimes were problematic right um and, and I, i'm thankful for that but my parents were also the ones who like my like the when I first discovered The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings and Tolkien or Tolkien and Lewis, it was my mother's book she read growing up. She was into that stuff. So right. like all the Dragon Raid and those the, those things like you spoke of earlier, that was stuff coming from my parents. So there was even though they were in that world that was very much into the satanic panic and all, they still we're into that stuff and getting me exposed to it. And I, I'd say that Lewis easily classifies as Christian literature. Even day, like it, it's pretty much what it is. Lewis is definitely Christian literature. Uh, one of the funny things about Jack Chick that he did in that original gospel track, Dark Dungeon, and I didn't know this till we were doing the research for the documentary, he talks about going out and burning all your Dungeons and Dragons and occult books. But he even had a footnote, including C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, basically telling them to burn C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. But enough people complained about him putting that in there that he took that footnote out. Oh, I didn't realize it was taken out. I do know that that was definitely included a lot of times. Like I, I didn't, We didn't have any actual book burnings growing up. But they would take records uh, up front in the pulpit. They like I remember one feller was uh, at the church. They they used to everybody would say, "Oh, we got to pray for." Uh, I, I probably shouldn't say his name. We'll say we also got to pray for Billy's father to get saved. And we did this for years, and then Billy's father started coming to the church, and he got saved. And then he brought all of his record collection. It was a gorgeous gorgeous record collection. Like like you can buy a house if you flip these things today. And they brought it up there. And they just started smashing and destroying all of these beautiful records because it was satanic evil. What you know how, how that, it was satanic panic. <laughs> and, and I went through that. See, I didn't grow up in church. I I was not a church going person. By the time I came along, my family had gotten out of going to church and things like that. So uh, my family religion wasn't a huge thing in my life the only religion i knew about was easter and christmas and we we rarely went to church on those holidays so when i came into the church in my 20s i came into the christian faith in a very conservative fundamentalist tradition and one of the first things i did even though i avoided the satanic panic of the 1980s one of the first things i did was burn all my dungeons and dragons books 
because that was what I, I thought was the right thing to do. My wife and I, when we got, we started dating, when we were dating, uh, and I still feel bad about this. I was telling her how evil her Bruce Hornsby and the range. Bruce Hornsby and the freaking range. Because that's what indoctrination does to you. And one of the things we talk about in the documentary is how it's all about control. If, you, if we let people be imaginative and creative, we are not able to control them. <clears throat> and so when a church or an individual or a faith tries to control your imagination or do away with the imagination. It's all about controlling you. And I experienced that. Uh, I'm just fortunate that I didn't have the years of indoctrination growing up in it. So as a geeky person who came into the faith in my 20s, what do geeks like to do? We like to read the rule books, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, read so I, read the, I read the Bible after reading the Bible. I'm like, okay, what else can I read? I began to read church history. I began to read 2,000 freaking years of Christian literature. And I'm like, wait a second. This doesn't add up. And so I began to ask questions. And thankfully, it took me a while, but it led me out of that what I would call harmful sort of Christianity. It led me to a better place. I got back into gaming in my mid-20s, started playing D&D, started playing Magic the Gathering, all of that fun stuff. And now I've gamed more in my life than I ever did as a kid. You know, and it, it's been beautiful and wonderful. You had you had uh, you had touched on something with the, the reading and stuff, and I think that's one thing that uh, uh, that one thing that I I definitely have always done is I I find I get into something I have to read everything about it. There was a point in time when I was uh, when I was uh, into religion, and I had the worst like habit of just spending all my money on religious texts and stuff, reading through them. And that happened when I get into other things as well from like my game books. It's always been a present thing in my game books or philosophy or history or whatever it is. It's myopic. And I think there's probably not the only gamer out there that does that. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. And, and the other thing I thought that was interesting about your experience was burning. Did you now I had I knew people who would uh who would do this thing where they would uh they would go through uh like uh I don't know how like a repent come to Jesus moment and then yeah. throw away all their all their D and D books. I don't remember any of them actually burning them. One of them may have actually physically burned them when I wasn't present, but I definitely remember them going into dumpsters. And I remember me getting upset, like, man, you should have given me your books, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I went out. I and the thing is, I didn't want to make a big production about it. So I took all my porn. <laughs> I, took, I took all my D&D books. I took all my science, even my science fiction and fantasy. And I took them out in the woods uh, close to where I was living with my dad. You know, I'm about 21 years old. And I just lit them all on fire. And now that I look back on it, you know, and I did this. Because I'd heard the stories that if you burn your D&D books, you can hear the demons scream, oh. right? 
And I'm like, okay, let me let me just burn them and let me hear those demons scream. And the only thing I could hear scream was that that nice hardback book popping as the seams on it pop. Oh no! And and as I've gotten older, I realized that's what they were attributing to it. Uh, with that said, one of the things that I think is important about the release of this documentary, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, there is a preacher right down the road from where I live in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. His name's Greg Locke, and he uh, has built this huge online following, and he has people moving into the area, and these things are still going on today. He had a massive book burning of Harry Potter books recently. And I wanted to say, is this 1998 all over again? You know, is this 2005 all over again? What is this? But, and I watched the video of his church burning those books. And I saw this young woman who couldn't have been older than 22, 23, holding a baby. And it made me as a minister realize these things are still going on. And if we don't speak out against it within the church, if, if the if churches that don't agree with this don't speak out about it, there's going to be another generation of children raised up with this stigma and this idea that their imagination is bad and their imagination is evil and their imagination is corrupt. And if they grow up with that idea, they are easier to manipulate they are easier to control. And sadly, that influence is going on in our culture. One of the things we touch briefly on in the documentary is how things like the satanic panic led to QAnon. And groups like this say that Hillary Clinton's got this secret uh, sex the pizza, cult. The pizza. It, the gate. <laughs> pizza, yeah. The pizza gate. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. Ah, that's quite a thing. That That's all part of the satanic panic. But that just didn't begin in the 1980s. We see it, we can take it back to McCarthyism in the 1950s when Joseph McCarthy was holding these hearings trying to root out all the communists in America. It boils down, in my view, and this comes from a very theological uh, view, is humanity's need to scapegoat someone to other someone so that we can have a common enemy. And if we can make this common enemy for all of us to face, then we can gather together and become stronger. And so in the 1950s, that common enemy for America was communism. We saw some of that still going on in the 1980s in the Cold War, but the satanic panic begins to be this common enemy that is out for the minds of our children. And then we saw people, I hope you don't mind me getting a little political here, but we saw people <laughs> like Donald Trump scapegoating immigrants. The problem with America is immigrants. No, the problem with humanity is that we want to find somebody to blame. We want to find someone else to blame and attack. And when we do that, we get this so-called righteous anger and then we can control people. We use that to control people to get them to do what we want. But we also control people so they don't recognize 
how they're getting their clocks cleaned and how they're being screwed around by the economic systems within our country. Oh yeah. I agree completely there. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to, I want to point something out kind of on the lines. You're talking about the QAnon and everything. Like when I was in elementary, I went to one of those church basement schools. Right. Um, they, my pa- my family was very into this fundamentalist world. And when I was young, I'd go to the, and there was a, it was a preacher. I'll go ahead and just say if pastor O'Keefe was the, was the, he was the, he did, he taught Bible class and stuff like that. And a lot of it consisted of showing us really strange videos. Like it's the eighties and we're, we're watching videos on satanic panic and the evils of dungeons and dragons, the evils of rock music. And the next week he was showing us videos about how the United States government as a conspiracy to hide the truth of dinosaurs because dinosaurs really exist and if we knew that dinosaurs were still alive then we would reject evolution or something like that and the united every country in the world believed in dinosaurs but the united states and like this is the stuff that i was taught by the same people that were giving me satanic panic so a lot of what you're saying like yeah that mirrors what i experienced growing up (laughs) wow yeah and and your story sadly your story is one i've just heard quite a bit it's it's amazing the number of people who have shared a similar story with me well we're coming up on time I, i would like to ask you could you tell the listeners where they can find you online and where they can where any kind of links where they can well, if I, I don't think you can find the, the documentary in the U.S. right now, but where they can elsewhere and whatnot. Uh, the documentary right now, I have permission to screen it for groups and events. That could be for church groups, religious groups, but it can also be for gaming groups and gaming communities. And you can reach me at Pastor Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at geekpreacher.com. You can reach me that way. You can find me on social media that way. You can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page called The Geek Preacher. You can find me on TikTok at The Geek Preacher. You can find me on Instagram at The Geek Preacher. Uh, Just Google Geek Preacher. There can only be one (laughs) if you get the Highlander reference. And, And you can get in touch with me if you're interested in a screening Currently, the documentary is only available in Canada because the film company I work with is based out of Canada. Uh, They're called Refuge 31. And so if you have any Canadian listeners, you can find the documentary on Super Channel or Amazon Prime Canada. I'm hoping to see it released later this year in the U.S. on a streaming service. I will be at Origins next week. So if anybody's at Origins and wants to meet me, Try and hit me up on my social medias and we can meet up at Origins. We are also in the film festival at Gen Con this year, awesome. which is wonderful because in a way, this is where it all started uh, <laughs> back in 2007 when I got to meet Gary Gygax face to face. That's a lot of where my journey started. And so if you're going to be at Gen Con in August, Sign up and you can watch the documentary at the film festival. And we're excited about that. As always, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Wildlies and Wizards. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. Please, that helps a great deal. I'm on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom. We're on Patreon. We can really use the support. If you can give us the support, you can afford it. Go to patreon.com backslash Wildlies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.